from Courtside of the Virtual Hardwood, it's the MLSC Podcast. I am Andrew, Andrew in our forum, and Andrew NLSC on Twitter. I'm joined as always by Derek, he is DP3 in our forum, and DP384 on Twitter. Derek, good to be on the air with you for episode 439 of the NLSC Podcast. What's in your mind this week? A lot, Andrew. A lot. As always, though, I'm never short of thoughts on basketball, video games, and whatnot. But I wanted to bring up the NLSC Top 10 Plays of the Week that was released this weekend. I thought it was a pretty strong countdown, wouldn't you agree? I love a good dunk, and that had many of them, many great passes, and of course, I got in there myself, so I enjoyed that. But as I've said before, I love the goodwill and, and the clips that people keep sending us, so it's it's just, it's just so much fun to see it every week when you say, yep, the draft is up if you want to have a look at it, and uh, and then we get to share it with the community. Absolutely. I did want to say, though, you, you ended up in the top three there. You're in the number three spot with a Michael Jordan NBA Live 2003 spin move into a free-throw line dunk, and that looked absolutely excellent. I mean, that has to be in the top three, right? Um, well, you have a, a fan. With his name is it Nate Stasho, a friend of the show, actually, NBA Live 2001 legend, who made a comment on the video, and he said, Andrew should have been number one. And Nate, I, I actually, I, I agree. I, I, to, to a point, I, I think there were multiple capable number one plays in the countdown, but I, I kind of wanted to go over a quick reasoning of why Andrew's play wasn't number one. So, Andrew, I hope this doesn't hurt. No, I was, but, surpri- I was surprised. <laughs> when I sent it in, I thought it might be something for the... Uh for the back end for the 10 to 5 right so you might agree with my reasoning here um so on nba live 2003 uh, live 2003 is very arcade leaning you would agree it's oh, very fast yeah. paced. there are dunks from the free throw line pretty regularly in that game it's kind of a regular occurrence in that game uh so it's not like a surprise really when it happens it does look cool when it's off of a move like a spin move like you did it's cool but it's kind of like a common thing and that needs to be factored in when i take in these high highlights and you know do the placements the reason why the number one highlight was a little bit more special and unique than andrew's highlight is because it was the one that was sent in from Ralph House from NBA Live 19. And it was a succession of three great plays in a row by the same player. There was a steal, there was a behind the back pass, and then that same player that got the steal and did the behind the back pass received an alley oop in a reverse dunk. Now, that is a very rare sequence for a same player to be able to do all of that in succession. So that was more unique. Um, It was a defense to offense play and it was, it was pretty special. So, and the reason why number two was also higher was I've, uh, which this was a, the live King highlight from NBA live 19. I have played a ton of live 19. You know that I was streaming it for a while, played a bunch of games. I had never seen a play where a player wraps the ball around another player, like dribbles it around his body. And that happened on that play with Damian Lillard. So he dribbled it around the defender's body and then he finished on contact. I think it was a basket and foul and whatnot. That is incredibly rare. Like I, I, like I said, I've never seen it in that game. So that's, that was deserving of the number two spot 
So I, I did want to like give some justification to why you know Andrews spin into a free throw line dunk on live two thousand three wasn't the number one play because if it's something that's super common in a game, then um, it it becomes not as special. I think you would agree. Oh, for sure, and I certainly appreciate Nate's support on that uh, on that matter. But uh, no, I wasn't uh, wasn't bothered by that, and I definitely agree with the reasoning. It, it takes me back to to NBA action, of course, back in the day, and the, the courtside countdown in NBA action, where sometimes you'd see a play that's it's just a little bit more involved, just a little bit more to it, a little bit more unique. So I I, I love that being the uh, the yardstick for uh, for placing clips in the in the top ten. It's obviously you get these great clips every week. Got to uh, got to be uh, tough sometimes. So uh, no, I, I wasn't bothered at all, but uh, I do appreciate the support. It is funny though. I sent you that clip and, and a couple of others from NBA Live two thousand. And uh, when I'm when I'm playing something that I don't that I'm not really into at the time, like 2K14, obviously being my current kick, you always ask the question, getting uh, getting screenshots for an article, um, which which absolutely was in uh, in both those games. I wanted a screenshot of a uh, a free throw line dunk in game from NBA Live 2003, and also some a cl- uh, couple of screenshots from NBA Live 2000. And man, NBA Live 2000, that still holds up as well. The Brian Reeves dunk that you shared, Big Country, uh, that two-handed monster slam. I, I reached out to you right after you shared it, and I was like, oh, my God, this looks great. Like, it just looked really good. The animation was good. The the reflections on the floor, just the overall, it, it just v- very visually appealing. And, yeah, to, to give you an idea of how common that dunk is on NBA Live 2003, not saying it wasn't a great move, but Andrew was able to do that in, like, the first minute that he had the game on. Like the, the the score is like four to two or something like that when he pulls that off with Jordan with that spin move and then the free throw line dunk. So it's not something that's super hard to do, um, but it does look cool as hell. To that point, now, to that point, actually, that was the second time in that game that I'd done that. I hadn't, I didn't record the first one properly. So that was actually the second time, second one in that in that same game in that first minute of doing that. Right there, you go. Um, yeah, it's the a good example of something like that. So like the NBA Jam on Fire edition. Like when we play co-op, how many times do you go up and do spectacular jams with Sean Kemp? Oh, like when he's on time. fire. Yeah. yeah. Every time, right? Right. But when he's on fire, you do those ones where he rockets up 30 feet above the basket and throw it down. I mean, it's cool to have it in the top 10 every once in a while, but that for that game is just incredibly common. So it's hard to place a dunk like that super high. But I also know that Nate is a jokester and he just likes to be super involved in this stuff. Um, So, uh, Nate, as always, um, thanks for participating in the top 10. Uh, Love getting you in Roger's highlights. Love watching your videos on the Live 2001 Legends videos. And Nate and I actually recently connected on NBA Live 2004. I showed you the highlights and shared them on Twitter. We connected on Live 2004. He was using the Cavs. I was using the Suns. And we played three quarters against each other. What a blast. He's super fun to play with on the games because he does use strategy and he's really competitive and he tries to pull off, you know, all cool, like, like a bunch of cool stuff, but not like, like he likes to use variety, right? He'll go into the post. He'll shoot outside shots. He'll attack the mid range and everything like that. And he works hard on defense, loves big blocks. As I've seen when he plays against Roger and whatnot, it was just a really fun time. And NBA live 2004, each time that I revisit it, it's, it's really cool. And, it, and it's nice to, um, to revisit it with, 
people who we've had on the show, uh, people who have been following the NLSC content for a long time, and you know we've been following them and whatnot. So yeah, I really appreciated that connection. I think they have a similar philosophy to the gaming that we do, uh, playing the old favorites if the newer games aren't appealing, and, and certainly using those different strategies, going for highlights, just really enjoying basketball gaming. That's what makes them so fun to play with uh, or against, which we still need to do. 100%. And it also makes a guy like Nate deadly when he uses a team like the Cavs because the Cavs have Ricky Davis, Darius Miles, and LeBron James. And so all of those guys are high-flying, catching oops, throwing oops to each other, getting out on the break, dunking in traffic, all of that stuff. So that is such a fun team to use in games like NBA Live 2004. And of course, he has Big Z on that team too, who you can sometimes use like Shaq, where he was like drop stepping on me or just throwing it down on me and knocking me over and whatnot. That Suns team, by the way, is very good. They're, I think they're the same overall rated. They're both 77 overall, the Cavs and the Suns. But I had Penny, Stefan Marbury, Amari Stoudemire, Sean Marion. Like, they have a lot of fun pieces as well. So the game that we played was really fast-paced, back and forth, get out on the fast break, throw alley-oops, just a lot of fun. And you and I also connected on Live 2003, which we we have done before, but it's been a while. Yeah, I think that was the most enjoyable experience I've had on that game with you. Yeah, easily. um, It's always fun. Like, it's always fun when we connect and play these games. And I've never had a bad session ever when, you know, when we played. But Live 2003, when we revisited this time, we were using the East All-Stars co-op versus the West All-Stars. And, of course, that East All-Star team is incredibly fun with Jason Kidd and Allen Iverson and Michael Jordan and Tracy McGrady and Alonzo Mourning and whatnot. And that West team is such a formidable foe. Like they're so good. I was talking to you about it in the chat with, you know, Kobe Bryant and um, Duncan and, uh, and Steve Francis and, and whatnot. And Kevin Garnett. And they're they're just absolutely loaded. And um, I thought that we played very well together. Michael Jordan ended up being the player of the game, which is fitting uh, because we both love, uh, some MJ, uh, Tracy McGrady had some ridiculous dunks in that game. I thought it flowed really well offensively and defensively, and that computer is definitely quite the challenge. Well, it's also tough because that Western team had a lot of size compared to the East. The, the West was very big at, at that time, and the East not so much. Right. I think actually in the, the default roster, they have Jason Kidd for the East starting at point guard and Iverson at the shooting guard. They do, yeah. So that gives you kind of an idea, right, of the size difference. And they have Antoine Walker starting on the East, and actually Trace McGrady's on the bench. Uh, so is Sharif Abdurrahim and whatnot. But I thought it was really interesting in the default roster because what happens is, if you remember correctly, in the real 2003 NBA All-Star game, they wore traditional all-star game jerseys like they were just like regular all-star game jerseys they brought it back yeah yeah but in the 2002 all-star game they wore their team uniforms which i always thought was the best touch how cool did that look i always liked it too i remember they brought it in in 1997 they were doing it for the rookie the rookie game in uh, 1996 they did that but then they brought it for the main game in 1997 for the the 50th anniversary of the league of course not the 50th anniversary of the all-star game but yeah, I, I like that look as well. It was it was very unique. They 
that's when they moved away from having to change jersey numbers. They allowed duplicate jersey numbers because they just allowed the players to wear their original team jerseys, of course. So it, it was very unique. It stood out. Absolutely. And the reason I bring that up is because in Live 2003, they are wearing their team uniforms for their All-Star jerseys. So, of course, when Live 2003 was released, they didn't know what direction they were going to go in uniform-wise for the 2003 All-Star game. And they um, knew the game was going to be in Atlanta, but they didn't know what the court would look like. So it's a very unique experience playing the All-Star game in NBA Live 2003 because they're wearing their team uniforms and the court isn't accurate at all in comparison to what it was that year. So it's kind of like a special, unique experience to play that. And those are some of the things you only see in video games. I have a false memory of NBA Live games from the late 90s having the accurate court. And a couple of them did. Live 95 and 96 PC did because they came out late enough that they knew the design or they were able to update it kind of for that weekend. And they they did in those two games, 95 PC coming out halfway through the season after the All-Star break, I, I believe, from memory. But in later games, they actually do have last year's court from 97 PC, 98 PC, and this is a false memory I'd had. However, NBA in the Zone 99 does have a 1999 All-Star weekend court in Philadelphia using their logo, might, may not have been what they actually would have played with, but certainly had, had been updated with the logo that had been revealed. And it was a similar thing they did with Live 2003. So it's cool that you see these things only in video games. 100%. Also, I wanted to bring up something. Uh, so Andrew was not uh, a huge fan of NBA Live 2003 when it came out. It wasn't really the direction that he wanted the company to go in. Um, mostly based on the game not being sim enough, really, as far as like pace goes you know gameplay wise and everything but you've warmed up to it you know over the years and you like you had a blast today when you and i connected so i figured i'd bring that up and you know ask you know what changed your mind well with live 2003 as you said it wasn't what i wanted at the time i was really getting into that sim headspace if you will i wanted it to be much more realistic 2004 i think was a much better sim game overall the addition of sliders also helped because you can make you can tailor the gameplay the way you want it to I did play a lot of Live 2003, and even getting into a franchise with the uh, with the Minnesota Timberwolves, but I did lose my passion for it because I did get sick of it. Uh, I, it wasn't what I wanted. But you're right, I have changed my mind on it, or at least I can have more fun with it now. And while I don't think it was the right direction, I, I haven't changed my mind about that. It wasn't the right direction for the series, and they, they did correct course in uh, 2004. But I can go back and play it now because there have been games that have come out since that have scratched that itch as far as being the more realistic sim style. So there, I've been able to get that experience from both live and 2K in subsequent years. So 2003 is now a game that I can enjoy for what it was. And that's the great thing about retro gaming is that you can put aside those expectations and the disappointment of, oh, this isn't what I was expecting of the new game, and just enjoy a game for what it was, enjoy the strong points. Obviously, big deal bringing in freestyle control, 20 years of right stick dribbling, as I said in Way Back Wednesday. There are a lot of things that I, I like about Live 2003, or, or certainly I can appreciate them for what they are. But, but yes, going back and looking at it in a different light, just having fun with it, no, no more expectations of this, this is the game that I want, or this is the game that I was expecting. Uh, yeah, that's why I enjoy 2003 uh, for what it is. But, but yes, I, I stand by it not being the right direction, but I can have fun with it all the same. Yeah, so there's certain games that I've loved all the way through as far as like I loved them when they were first released and I've loved them ever since I got, uh, you know, I started going back to them. 
one of those games that I've been posting about it is the original NBA 2K. I've talked to you about this off air many times and, and with other people as well. Every single time I pick up the original NBA 2K, I have fun. It, it doesn't matter if I'm playing against the computer, another human playing co-op with another human. I just think that that is one of the greatest basketball video games of all time. It just has such a fun factor. Uh, Hulk Up Guy, um, I think that's how you pronounce it on Twitter. Um, and he's a, uh, a pretty big part of the modding community as well. Uh, he said that that's his favorite basketball video game of all time. And I like I see why. The game just is fast, free-flowing fun has so many good animations has really good two-way play like you can you know being able to play defense and and you know the, the fun offensive aspects of it i just in the presentation just everything every time i put on that game it's great oh for sure there are definitely games that i've loved throughout the years and haven't had to look back and and change my mind about um live 2000 for me is is still one of those nba hang time nba jam tournament edition I've just loved them from the very start and, and yeah, continue to enjoy them, go back to them throughout the years and, and still have a blast with them. We were still seeing some mods for Live 2000 PC coming through as of, I'd say, 2015, 2016. So that scene lasted only a couple of people doing it, obviously, a couple of dedicated people, but there were people still updating that game well, almost 15, 16 years later. Well, I like the fact that we're keeping it alive still with connecting on Parsec or with my local games and whatnot, and we're sharing videos to the NLSC channel because I think these games do need to be kept alive. I really loved NBA Live 2000, and I've been playing it a lot lately, as you know, um, with my brother. And it that's another game that doesn't really get old when I revisit it. So um, I just think the NBA 2K, the original game, is incredibly special because that's how they kind of came out of the gate, right? That's the first official NBA 2K, and they came out so strong. Uh, it just blows me away every single time I put it on. I'm going to go back to NBA Live 2003 for a second for you know our session and state what my favorite play of the game was, and then I'm going to ask you. My favorite play of the game is finally in the last minute of the game, we got Jordan to dunk. Yeah. Got Jordan out on the fast break. He had been doing layups all game, and he rips down a one-handed jam. And I thought that that was necessary, it was needed, and it looked very realistic. So what was your favorite play of the game? No, I was going to say the same thing. and We didn't discuss this before we started recording, so this is just our synchronicity at work. But I love that because the default dunk package for Wizards Jordan, the, the active Michael Jordan in Live 2003, that dunk package can do a that one-handed dunk that we saw, and it can do one two-handed dunk, one driving two-handed dunk. So that's basically all it can do. I think there might be the third one, but it, it doesn't. There's not many in that package, and it usually defaults to layups more often, even if they've got a, a fairly high high dunk rating, high enough to dunk more often than uh, than he was. And I wanted to trigger a dunk so badly in that game. I wanted to get at least get one MJ dunk in that game, so we'd have it for the highlights. Um, and yeah, to get it in the the final minute like that, it, it just put an exclamation point on the game because we were winning by double digits at that point. We we were going to win. We'd already th had a lot of great highlights with Tracy McGrady, some near free throw line dunks and and whatnot. Uh, MJ had some nice Jordan esque layups, of course. But yeah, to get that dunk in that final uh, in the final minute there, that was uh, that was special. That was that just just put a stamp on the game. You know what's funny? Um, there's multiple games that came out around the time that had Wizards Jordan dunking like his primed self. Yeah, 2002 did. Yeah. 
Yeah, yeah. 2002, um, I want to say that NBA 2K, what was it, 2K3, maybe? I think it might have been 2K3, um, where Jordan is just, like, flying to the rim, like his young son. So uh, it's surprising that in one of NBA Live's, in the NBA Live series, one of the most arcade games they've ever made, they decide decide to make Jordan barely be able to throw it down. Right, exactly. Before we go on, a reminder that the NLSC podcast comes out every week on the NLSC, mb-line.com, as well as our YouTube channel. We're also on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and other podcast apps. If you're listening on any of those apps, we'd greatly appreciate a review. To keep up with the show and everything we're doing with basketball gaming in general, connect with us on social media. On Twitter and Facebook, we are The NLSC. We also have an Instagram, NLSC Basketball. And on YouTube, we're youtube.com slash NBA Live Series Center. Once again, visit us at nba-live.com, where in addition to the podcast, you'll also find all of our original content, as well as our forum and modding community. On the topic of Jordan, a lot of news from NBA 2K23 related to the Jordan Challenge. Yeah, that was the developer blog this week, the insights into the revamped Jordan Challenge. And uh, what were your thoughts, your immediate thoughts? Because, I mean, we're both, we've talked about our skepticism for the gameplay, the quality of gameplay in uh, 2K23 based on 2K21 and 2K22 on next gen and current gen. But I, I did like what I heard. I loved what I heard, but I'm still skeptical because of the gameplay, right? Of course. Because if the game doesn't play well and it's not fun or it's clunky and, you know, you have some of the gameplay issues that they've had over the recent years, uh, I am not going to enjoy the mode, right? So because it has to still be fun on the sticks. I love the uh, era-specific stuff that they're pulling as far as, like, era-specific rules for the challenges. Uh, You know, I believe they're allowing hand-checking for when hand-checking was allowed. And, you know, the option for, you know, they'll have a legal defense in place instead of like, you know, defensive three seconds in the restricted restricted area, stuff like that. Like all of that are great touches. I believe they're also going to have era specific filters for the graphics. Great. You know, somebody else brought up that they hope that it's something that you could use in like my league or that will be implemented in my team or, you know, my NBA if we're talking about, you know, next gen and whatnot uh i don't know if that's going to be something that they do i think it's probably going to be just something strictly for the jordan challenges i also like the new challenges they implemented i was hoping for a wizards jordan challenge like i mentioned on a prior episode you know his 40 at 40 um his 50 points uh and whatnot like i was hoping that was going to be part of it but it's not but yeah i thought i know you're going to go over them in a second as far as like what they're implementing based on the blog but i do like all the sounds of what they're implementing for this mode i I just hope the gameplay holds up and i hope it's good exactly and i I said to you after we both read through the blog i messaged you and said i hope the gameplay is good enough to at least enjoy the challenge so i can at least play through the challenge if not playing 2k23 all year but i can at least get something out of uh, playing that mode yeah i mean I want to see NBA 2K11 type Jordan realism. Yeah. With his animations and feel and everything, because I don't think Jordan has felt better in any game ever than he did in 2K11. Oh, they went they all, all, out. Of his went anim- all out. They went all out. Yeah. yeah. They had the, all of his animations on point, um, his layout package, his, you know, his little fadeaway, uh, you know, the, the, the pump fake with the ball uh, and whatnot. 
I missed to that. fake out his defender before. Yeah, before he did a move, uh, his all of his signature dunks. The foot planning in NBA 2K11 is elite. It's top notch. So it feels good when you're making your moves. I hope that it can at least get close to the realism of MJ in 2K11. So I did touch on it there, but the, the Jordan challenge is in both current gen and next gen. They didn't really specify if some of the details aren't going to be on both. I mean, obviously, everything we read is going to be in that next-gen version of the game, but uh, it, it does sound like most of it, or if not all of it, is going to be in current-gen as well. That, that was kind of unclear. It seems to me, and I know there's been a lot of debate about this, it seems to me that they are prioritizing current-gen quite a bit as far as content is related, right? Mm, yeah. So it's not getting it's not getting the updated graphics of next gen which i don't think are that much better anyway to be honest with you i've talked about that before a filter uh, it's not <laughs> yeah it's not getting the um you know the my nba mode it's still going to be my league and whatnot but as far as like trying to give people like all of that my team content uh from next gen you know making that in sync you know between both next gen and past gen getting the Jordan challenge in there, um, getting some of the custom customization features that are in next gen into current into past gen. Like, I think that there is definitely a lot of effort there, but I hope that that same effort gets put into the gameplay. Right. I, I just hope that, you know, I'm going to, you know, we keep harping on it and whatnot. I hope that, you know, some of that focus is not just on that content, but it's actually on improving the gameplay. So it's really fun. And it does sound like they're, they're trying to do that with current gen. In the gameplay blog, they did mention trying to get as much from next gen into current gen. So they're still putting effort into it. Maybe it's, it's, it's clearly not the, the priority. We know that much. But it's not like you go back to NBA Live of the mid-2000s when they really started focusing on the Xbox 360 and PlayStation 3. PlayStation 2 and the subsequent PC port, of course, just got uh, a very rough game uh, that, that was no longer the the focus it was outsourced to another studio which oh hp studios of course which which now 2k i believe uh works with if not uh owns so that's uh, that's coincidental there but yeah it does sound like they're trying to at least put a little bit of effort into the current gen and make it worth uh worth buying which which probably speaks to how a lot of people still are trying to get onto next gen not being able to get their hands on the consoles so it's a very unique situation there i suppose compared to, to previous generations also, we're at a point where the previous generation is still quite powerful in its own right. As you said, the uh, whether it's an improvement in, in uh, graphics is is questionable. For some people, it really just feels more like a uh, an updated filter, which people have actually reproduced on the PC. Yeah, I've seen several mods that make the PC version lighting-wise look pretty damn close yeah. to what's on next-gen. And when you add that lighting, it makes the players look like they're from next-gen, right? Because now that lighting is on the players. So um, it makes them look very similar when they're at the line, um, you know, from the broadcast camera angle or the 2K camera angle and whatnot. Just some amazing work done by modders out there. So as, as you can tell, the, the body models are basically the same from the PC version and the next-gen version. So it looks like the player models are the same. Even the faces are often the same between both gens and whatnot. So... Yeah, I mean, I, I, I'm not about the graphics. Like, I think the graphics are perfectly fine on the PC version. It, it really just comes down to the gameplay and having fun. Because if I'm having fun with a game, I will spend thousands of hours on it. And I mean, there is that expectation for graphics to 
consistently get better. Certainly the games that we grew up with tended to get better every year. There is an exception. You know, we've just been talking about Live 2003. I felt that Live 2004 took a step backwards in the quality of the faces and some of the graphics overall. Kind of that uh, byproduct of bringing in that new engine for Live 2004. But to your point, it did benefit the gameplay. 2004 is a much better game than 2003. But 2003 does look a little bit better. They did, they did correct course in 2005. They got it looking even better once again, back on track of improving it graphically. But I understand the graphics are a big deal. And as we've said before, if Slash When Live comes back, it needs to look like next-gen graphics. It can't look like a hybrid of last-gen and current-gen or current-gen and next-gen. It needs to impress. But at the same time, as you said, if it's a fun experience on the sticks, if you're enjoying yourself... That's the main thing. And you can overlook graphics that are maybe slightly disappointing, but, but great graphics will not make up for horrible gameplay or disappointing gameplay. Right, and the game has to look fun because how many people are previewing gameplay before they buy? Oh, yeah. A lot. They're looking for early gameplay released by the developer, which we barely get. When we get it, it's very close to the release date uh, and whatnot. Uh, and they're looking for, you know, other influencers uh, and just random people out there that are uploading gameplay um, so they can get an idea of what they're getting themselves, themselves into. So um, we've talked about it before. If NBA Live were to come back, I'll say again, I do think they will at some point. Um, those gameplay videos have to be really good like they have to the game has to look fun it has to shine from a fun perspective etc and people need to want to you know get excited about getting on the sticks absolutely absolutely and even with 2k we we see gameplay looks very familiar or we only get the cinematic trailer that doesn't really show us all the the nuts and bolts and it's uh it is hard to be hard not to be skeptical i should say but uh, as far as the jordan challenges is concerned uh, as you said, a video filter recreating the experience of watching the, the games on TV in the 80s and 90s. I'm reading off my summary here. Uh, similar to NBA's Greatest, also going to be era-specific broadcast presentation elements, such as minimal overlays in older games, fewer on-screen graphics, that is, blocky letters, and so on. And also Mike Fratello joining the commentary team for the Jordan Challenge games, and Ray Clay being the PA announcer for the 90s Bulls games, serious by the Alan Parsons project being playing during the play introductions, as the Bulls famously did, and, and still do for that matter. Yeah, that's cool. And how cool is Mike Fratello being on the mic? Yeah. One of my favorite personalities on the mic. I absolutely love him in um, NBA Live 2004. Uh, I think he is excellent overall in real life and in video games. He was somebody that, you know, actually broke down the action, you know, which you rarely see today. You know, he tried to educate the audience about the game and what was going on. And he was so knowledgeable about, you know, all the players and teams and whatnot. So that's incredibly welcoming. You know, the other piece that I thought was cool is that they're doing a lot of cut scenes, um, mm. you know, for the Jordan challenges Interviews, yeah. where they're interviewing. Yeah. Interviewing players like Patrick Ewing and, um, you know, people like uh, Ahmad Rashad are getting interviewed. And I think it's really cool that they're going to do this, you know, kind of theatrical presentation around it. They're going to put a lot of effort into, or they did put a lot of effort into making it a, you know, almost like a movie-like experience and, um, or a documentary 
type yeah, experience. Yeah, they're calling it narrative. Yeah. They, they, they brought up the word narrative. And, and like, like you say, documentary may be an even better way of putting it, that they're putting these interviews in there, these highlight clips, this explanation, the context of the games, interviews with the key figures, Patrick Ewing, Dennis Rodman, uh, Kareem, for the 1988 All-Star game. That's the kind of revamping that I love to see on top of the gameplay elements that they're uh, touting that they're actually going all out because, of course, they've got all that disk space now that they can do that. So, yeah, why not? I also want to point out that for basketball historians, people who love the history of the game, who continue to want to learn more about the history of the game, this gives us an opportunity to see interviews we've never seen before with these players and they're, they're going to make comments about these games and, and Jordan himself and maybe how they performed in those games, etc. Like this is really cool for people like us because it's going to give us content that we've, you know, that we've never seen before. So, um, you know, I applaud 2k on that implementation and, you know, from what I'm hearing, it's going to be really good. And it sounds like they're, they're bringing back the, the challenges that win the challenges, I should say, they're bringing back the the goals to hit. Back in the original Jordan challenge, of course, that was reaching various statistical goals. I imagine that would be very similar. But they do mention that each challenge has three goals to reach. Reaching a goal earns a star, and earning more stars eventually unlocks rewards in my career and my team. And now, how many times have we talked about needing to have this retro challenge mode back, and how we said you need to have something to to appeal to everyone to get to get them to play it maybe some of the younger gamers to check it out and want to check out the history and learn something along the way but there's actually a tangible reason beyond simply enjoying history which appeals to us maybe not necessarily all 2k gamers but you can earn rewards in for my career and my team so there's that added incentive to play through the whole challenge and to unlock all of those goals we have talked about it many times, actually, on this podcast, that if we were to implement a mode like this, we would have that intangible as part of it, right? Yeah. Where they can, um, you know, earn VC or, or whatnot or unlock my team rewards, uh, etc. Like, um, it's a smart move. I think it's going to get more people to play the mode. I think it's going to be more rewarding when they actually finish the mode. Uh, yeah, that's good stuff. And as you touched upon, gameplay has been tuned to reflect the style of the NBA in the 80s and 90s, heavier focus on the mid-range and post-game in the AI there, era-specific playbooks, different transition logic for the 80s, tighter lanes and whatnot, and sliders being tuned for historical accuracy. Uh, they've also mentioned matchup logic being rewritten so that MJ will be going head-to-head with opponents like uh, Neek, even if they're kind of out of position to do so, and also talking about the switching logic there as well in the full blog. Uh, physicality of the era being represented with hand checking, as you said, era specific rules, illegal defense instead of the defensive three seconds. Love those touches. Would love to have them for my NBA as well in my league, but that does seem like a long shot. Uh, signature animations for several historical players have been updated. Also, the example is, as per previous blogs, uh, Magic Johnson having a signature passing package. Iconic moments such as the shrug being represented through the unique animations, much like 2K11 as well. So, on paper, the gameplay does sound great. It does sound like a great celebration of mj's career that we want it to be yeah i think uh the bonus of them bringing the jordan challenge back is part of it you mentioned there where they were updating some of the signatures for the classic players is that it kind of forces them to enhance the retro experience in the in the default rosters as far as like the classic teams and all tie teams right so they're going to be updating some of the faces for this challenge they're going to be updating some of the signatures they're probably going to uh, make them you know, spend more time on making them accurate, accurate tendency 
ratings wise, etc. So I think that the bonus for people who love that retro content is they are probably going to get a more complete classic team and all time teams roster as part of the default roster. Which would be very welcome because we, how long have you been talking about that and bringing up just a fraction of the issues? You know, you made that video, uh, was it last year or the year before where you were talking about that? And of course, the, the long Twitter thread, you pointed out what was maybe amounts to about 1% of the issues w- with the with retro players and, and teams in 2 After over 50 hours. Yeah, yeah, after over 50 hours of working on it, like 1% maybe. Um, yeah, I don't think we're going to fix all of them. I think there's still going to be some copy and paste stuff, rush jobs, uh, a bunch of inaccuracies. Like, I am expecting that. But I think that what we are going to get is some updated signatures, some updated tendencies and ratings for certain players, especially that are part of the Jordan challenge. And I think that we're going to get some updated faces. And I think that some of the faces are in sore need because there's still some faces that are in there that are either really off accuracy wise, or they're from like the PS3 gen, Mm. right? They've just been carried over from the PS3 gen um, and whatnot. So um, yeah, I think it's, it all sounds good. I, I think that, they're marketing it very well at the moment outside of us not being able to see much gameplay they're they're really hyping it up touting it up people are talking about it like us and everything but yeah fingers crossed it's fun and it was cool to see some of those moments like the shot being represented in game and of course that's one of the new games that's been added and just to quickly run down the that part of it the the, the featured games in the new jordan challenge uh, it begins now with uh, north carolina versus georgetown in the 82 national championship game um, so that's that's the new start of it, running through to again the the last shot with the with the Bulls in the nineteen ninety eight finals. And as you said, it would have been nice to get a, a Wizards challenge as well. But I'm, I'm guessing MJ himself has a lot of say in this, and, and he probably didn't want that to happen. So if he doesn't want it, it's not going to happen. Yeah, exactly. One thing that I really like that they added for a challenge is the scrimmage between the NBA stars and the college stars. And I actually posted highlights of that real game on Twitter before and just so many great players on the floor. The college players were unbelievable at the time. Um, And I think that that's going to be incredibly fun to play. I'm curious what they're going to do as far as, you know, getting the court accurate, the scenery accurate and whatnot. Um, But yeah, that's one of the challenges I'm actually looking forward to the most. That'll be, that'll be a lot of fun. And the one that I'm looking forward to, especially is the uh, 1988 all-star game. Oh Yeah. I mean, how many times have I watched that? That's another game that I actually Same. posted highlights of on my Twitter. I've watched that game many, many, many different times. And that was, you know, I've talked about how great the NBA was at that time. That was like peak NBA action. It really was. And there were so many stars and there was a lot of exciting moments in that game. So I think that's going to be a lot of fun. Obviously, I, I love that game because it's uh, it's so MJ-focused, so MJ-heavy with him being the MVP and scoring 40 points and a lot of highlights in that game. A great, uh, as I've said, I think we, said, we talked about it on a previous show, actually, after you posted it, he kind of duels with Dominic Wilkins as teammates, so <laughs> trying to score the most points. Of course, they went head-to-head in the dunk contest the uh, the night before, but such a great mix of established stars and rising stars in that game. It's one of those real landmark all-star games that is so fun to go back and watch, so that'll be a lot of fun to play as well. It is one of the five new challenges, uh, the 82 championship game, college championship game that is, the Team USA scrimmage in 1984, the All-Star game in 1988, the uh, the shot game, the game five of the first round in 1989 against the Cavs, 
then they've also added the uh, 97 matchup, Kobe versus MJ, Bulls versus Lakers in 1997. Those are the five new games. They bring back the 10 challenges from the original Jordan challenge, with the exception of scaling back the 1991 NBA Finals from the whole series in the original game to just game five. And I think that's okay. Yeah, that makes sense. As long as you get a taste of it, right? Yeah. I think that's fine. I, I also think that um, the challenge that's probably going to be displayed the most by influencers, by people who upload content to YouTube and Twitter and whatnot, is probably going to be the Kobe versus MJ. Yes. Right? Like, I think that that's the challenge that um, a lot of fans are going to want to sink their teeth into because, again, it's Kobe versus MJ. So um, that will be interesting to see how that looks and how that plays out and whatnot yeah i like what they did i mean they represented jordan versus the pistons so versus the bad boys they have um you know a game from uh, a series the bulls lost uh in 1990 that series went seven games and you know the pistons went you know went on to advance then they have the that one game from the lakers versus bulls finals like I, i see what they're trying to do they're trying to give you a taste of everything in his you know every big series or moment in his career and it looks like they may have gotten the job done i mean when you try to come up with just 15 games that define michael jordan and and represent his legendary career that's tough i mean that's tough for all of the greats but certainly we can name so many off the top of our heads probably you can make that 20 30 40 50 games but you can you really have to give that that uh that overview that selection you kind of can't put all of them in the game. There's a finite amount of disk space and whatnot, and certainly design time to make sure that they're all working properly. But I think those 15, those 10 that they brought back were uh, ideal at the time. I mean, the only ones that are missing are things like the Dream Team or the 93 Suns, which comes down to getting Charles Barkley in the game, of course, or the the, the Pacers matchups with Reggie Miller. But apart from that, as, as far as what they can license and who they can license, it does sound like they've done a, a great job with this revamped Jordan Challenge. A lot of good stuff on paper. Yeah, I hope if nothing else, I can play through this and enjoy it in 2K23, as I said. Yeah, I knew that Barkley and Miller weren't going to say yes all of a sudden. Yeah. Right? Like, I had a feeling that, that they were going to stand their ground. And um, Barkley's very adamant about them, if, if he's going to be in the game, that, that they donate some money and rightly so to the retired players association because of all of the uses of their likeness and all of that stuff that's already in the game and whatnot. I think Barkley thinks that 2k is unfair to the retired players. And I, I do see, you know, where he <laughs> is coming point. from <laughs> with that. Yeah. He's got a, he's got a point. Uh, yeah, but I hope I can have fun with it too. Like I'm, I'm, I'm going to dive head first into it. As you know, I'm going to be getting the PC version and the, um, you know, the Xbox Series X version. And, you know, I just want to have fun. So let's see what happens. And I'll definitely be uploading gameplay that I record off my my Elgato. Definitely. And speaking of licensing players, did you notice on Twitter that uh, Kenny Gaddison, who of course is in the game as part of the uh, the Hornets and a uh, veteran of the 80s and 90s, of course, he uh, he's now part of the effort to get players into 2K. Oh, I didn't know that. I did not see that. Um, so how did he present it? 
Uh, so he's working with the uh, Retired Places Association and he's putting out tweets like, hey, let's get you into the game and, and tagging people on Twitter and tagging people that might know, be able to get in touch with people who aren't on Twitter. I think he tagged Bonzi Wells and said, hey, can you put me in touch with Rasheed Wallace? So we, let's get Sheed into the game. So he's pushing to get these players into the game. and Hopefully if they, they don't make it for launch, then they can come through on roster updates or at least be in future games. But it's it sounds like he's trying to make that effort. But uh, he, might have a, a, he might have his work cut out for him with... Uh, Charles Barkley and Reggie Miller that will come down to uh, those monetary reasons but it does sound like he's trying to get those other players into the game including some role players as, as well as bigger names like Sheed so that was really cool to see what a random player to be bringing to try to spark a movement to get players you know more retro players in the game because Kenny, Kenny Gaddison has been retired from the NBA for a very long time mid-90s but yeah. it makes you wonder if he's a if he's a gamer right like makes makes me wonder if he actually plays these games and yeah. um I mean he's, he's clearly working you know, with I'm the to, uh, he's clearly working with the retired players association so yeah makes me want to look him up and do a little bit more research see if he has kids maybe that play 2k or something like mm. that as well I don't know I don't know too too much about Kenny Gaddison but I think that's pretty damn cool it is, and hopefully they'll succeed because some of those retro teams are definitely missing some uh, some big names and, and, and key names on the bench as well. So, uh, yeah, he's hoping that he can do some great work with them. Of course, when it comes to modding, we can put those players into the game ourselves as well as do huge projects like the Ultimate Base Roster and UR Basketball and other multi-season mods. But there was a question posted in the forum in the 2K22 mod releases section asking why there isn't a similar project to UBR or URB in the newer games. So we thought we'd touch on that a bit. Thousands upon thousands of hours. That's yeah. the reason. And you got to have a passion for it in order to, you know, continue on with a project like that after you start it. Uh, as you know, like on NBA 2K17, my Ultimate Classic Teams roster, which we ended up adding roughly 50 new Classic Teams to the game. You know, that's not a bunch of single-season rosters. Uh, it's not, like decades full of season single season rosters like the urb and the ubr etc but that roster we wanted to make accurate you know accurate courts accurate jerseys accurate faces ratings all of that stuff tendencies signatures uh, that roster alone took us thousands upon thousands of hours me and my brother so that's one of the biggest reasons why is it's, it's such a huge time commitment if you want to do it right because you have to think about it. There's so many faces that are missing, so they have to be made. You know, there's so many um, players that have to be added to the game where you have to do their signature jump shots. You got to do their ratings. You got to do their tendencies. You have to do um, their accessories. Then you got to get the team logos in there. You got to get the court, the, the jerseys. There's so many moving parts. And, um, it usually can't be one or two people that make a huge roster project successful and push one to completion. It takes a team of people. And for the UBR and the URB, there were a bunch of modders that jumped on those projects and were doing all of the art and helping with the tendencies and whatnot. Like in the case of SCO, you know, with the URB, Slim helped him with like the ratings and tendencies and formulas and all of that stuff like it can take a pretty large team and a, a pretty large dedicated team in order to make those projects completely fulfilled and successful spot on across the board there and to that point 
you look back at the beginnings of the Ultimate Base roster, it started out as a much smaller project, basically updating the current season, plus adding some retro teams, some missing retro teams and teams people would love to see in the game, missing players to those existing retro teams in NBA 2K12. And the other thing is, they stuck with it. 2K13 came out, and they continued to update Ultimate Base roster for 2K12. These days, a lot of people, a lot of modders, and, and gamers and mod users, move on to the new game when it comes out. You don't get as many people sticking with that older game and, and saying, oh no, I'm going to stick with this one for a year. People do, but it's not as common as it used to be. So if you're not sticking with it, you're not going to put all that time and effort into an older game that people aren't going to be playing anymore. It's like 2K11. Would it be awesome if we could resurrect the 2K11 modding scene and get a UBR or URB-like project going for 2K11? Absolutely. But it's a lot of time and effort to make that from scratch, essentially. We do have some assets there, but a lot of it from scratch and keep the current rosters updated and make all those retro rosters, all those retro season rosters, and do that for a game that fewer people are playing and going to download the mod for. Yeah. So modders like myself, uh, Peaceman Not, uh, you, Sticky Fingers, uh, Thunder Shack, uh, Sko, uh, Hawk, uh, Slim, uh, Lady Culture. Those are just a few in the community. Like the, the, they're pretty rare. Uh, most people, you know, they'll stick with past titles to play them and and mod them. And you know, guys like Stildo with Two K Nineteen, you know, and try to enhance the experiences on these on these older games. But the large majority of people, I would say ninety nine point nine 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 percent, move on to the newest game when it comes to modding and playing the games yeah it's hard to find a team that's going to stay dedicated to a modding project after the new releases no after that release is no longer new my brother and i with our ultimate classic teams roster actually released uh version two i want to say during 2k18's cycle so it was, it was for 2k17 but it was during 2 k eighteen cycle and then i think we released version three during 2k20 or 2k21's cycle so we were still modding that game and enhancing that mod for 2k17 years after the original release exactly and, and it's not just not just a case of having the tools and the know-how because obviously that's the case but it is that time and effort it's wanting to stick with the game stick with it year after year keep putting in all the effort to make all of those rosters and all of the hours for each of those retro seasons you need that cooperation and look, not to harp on a point, but a lot of people these days, are with modding in the modding community, there are a lot of people who are looking to get paid, or to have exclusive mods or things like that, and so you don't necessarily have that community cooperation for a project like we used to have, unfortunately. No, and I, and I gotta make a point too. I think there's a lot of people who don't mod that don't understand the time commitment it takes to do certain things. Definitely. Like, so, you know, I got into making cyber faces, right? I made Smush Parker, Mark Blount, Walter McCarty. Some of these faces, now this is one cyber face for the newer 2Ks. Some of these faces can take six hours, eight hours, sometimes a few days of touching it up and working on it sure. in order to complete one face. Now, I want you to think about something like when you think about season, we're like URB, UBR type rosters. Think about the time commitment it takes to even complete faces for one season of missing players if you want accurate faces in that roster. I mean, if it takes that long to do one face, you're looking at 
creating hundreds of faces for like one year or two years. And then over the course of an entire roster like that, you know, which is covering, you know, decades of seasons, you're looking at thousands of faces. So what you're looking at is actually thousands of mods, right? Absolutely. Just in cyber faces. So we're not even talking about um, the work that it takes to make jerseys, to make the uh, accurate courts. So you have to, you know, piece together the courts, get the right art on there and everything. That can take a long time as well. Ask Sticky Fingers, he makes courts. I think they understand the time commitment that it actually takes in order to have, uh, you know, to create a roster project like that. I remember some people, when I was starting to get burned out on the current roster updates for NBA Live on PC back in the day, and they would say, oh, just make a couple of updates a year, or just make a, an opening season roster and then a mid-season roster and maybe a final season roster. And, and what they didn't understand is that it doesn't actually reduce the workload. If anything, it can actually increase the workload by making only a couple of releases a year, putting out a couple of releases a year rather than several. Because when you have several, and this is a mistake that I made trying to get packed too much into each update, you can do those smaller updates. Okay, this update's only, only going to have the first 20 uh, draftees of the first round. Next version that's coming out next week or in a couple of weeks' time, that'll have all 60 draftees. It's still the off-season. We don't need to have complete rosters to go. You can just kind of have those off-season rosters that are always going to be in flux anyway. So, yeah, it's some people just don't understand the... Uh, the work that goes into it. It's definitely not just a case of clicking a few buttons and it spits out a mod. That'd be nice, but it also wouldn't really be modding. And another point that you raised there, not just the the time that goes into the faces, but also the expectations. Because as the graphics have gotten better in games, we expect to see more accurate faces. Which is not to say that we didn't want to see accurate faces back in the day, but I think around about the, the early 2010s with those games, the graphics aren't as good as the generation that came after them you can maybe get away with some faces that aren't as great here and there, especially on the deep bench. And even you can even use some generic faces as placeholders in the meantime, because if you've got a roster, a retro roster that's got 90, 95% of the faces done, and the last 5% are just mostly bench warmers, that's a roster that's ready to go. But I think a lot of people do expect to have that full release, 100% done. And I, and I get it. I used to want to do that myself. But I think that also contributed to burnout, and it certainly contributes to projects being held back or even not coming out at all so i think expectations of of those modding projects as well also plays a role it's uh, but again it comes down to time and uh, time and effort right and if you're tackling a project like that uh you're going to also want to make things accurate yeah right because you're you if you're tackling a project like that more than likely you have a passion for nba history so you don't want to just do a full dna copy and paste for players Definitely. right you want to make sure their ages are correct their you know their vitals all of that stuff um you're going to want to make sure that it plays like that player and, I, and i've talked about it before just to you know do the ratings and tendencies and, and signatures for one team and not even counting watching video in order to get signatures right and whatnot you know it would take hours upon hours upon hours when we were working on our nba 2k17 roster um just to do the ratings tendencies and signatures for one team and that doesn't include like all the art that we were talking about for that team so it is just such a huge time commitment and i think that a lot of the people um in the modding community on the nlsc and whatnot are adults so what do they have they have jobs sometimes they have a family like the goods and whatnot has a family sure um so tg's so good and they have a lot of responsibility 
So asking adults who have all of these responsibilities and work full-time jobs, sometimes multiple jobs, and, and you know have families and whatnot to tackle these enormous modding projects, uh, it's not realistic. So I think that there needs to be some understanding in that regard as well. There definitely does. And, and again, I'll put out that advice if you are making a big project. I think that for version one, 95% of faces done and just some of the benchwarmers that uh, can be cleaned up later is fine. I would even go so far as to say, if you've got the jerseys that are slightly inaccurate, let's say, I, I can't think of a specific team example, but say you're doing a, a 2005 roster and your the jerseys you have for a specific team, uh, they're from the 2004 or 2006 season, so they're pretty, pretty accurate, but for a couple of minor details that, that they changed between years, you can run with that one that's 99% accurate and just future-proof it and slot in a jersey later. If you don't have anyone working on jerseys at that time and it's going to hold back the release, don't hold back a release for one or two jerseys that are already 99% accurate. I do understand the, the desire to be completely accurate with a release, but if it's the difference between not getting something out and getting something out and fixing it up later, when it's a detail that not everyone's going to notice to begin with, I think that we've got to give some we've got to give each other some leeway on those projects. I, I do absolutely support 100% accuracy on these uh, on these mods. That is kind of the point after all. But at the same time, I think that leeway needs to be there for using assets that are available as opposed to holding back a release indefinitely. Well, for one thing, no roster model will ever be 100% accurate because there's always something. Sure. Um, unfortunately. Um, but that's just the way it is. Uh, number two, uh, another important piece of this is if you do release something, um, even if it's 60% done or 70% done um, and you release a demo to people or like do a V1 release or something like that, the chances of somebody um, coming on to help with the project goes way up yes exactly. because now they now other modders see the work they start using it and they're like hey this is really cool you know these teams are you know not fully modded like they're not fully complete and accurate but they're really fun to put on the floor and i like what this modder has done so far i'd like in on, on helping out maybe they'll help out with jerseys maybe they'll help out with faces maybe they'll you know you can share the roster with them and they'll they'll work on ratings tendencies or signatures and whatnot so um i think it's really important to release something and preview something as early as possible in order to try to like entice the community to come on and enjoy the project and then also help out if there's something tangible people as you say will jump on because People might jump on earlier and, and contribute their work at that point, but at the same time, if, if there's no chance or it seems very little chance that the project is, is ever going to see the light of day, then some people might hold back, well, I'm not going to put in all this effort to make these jerseys that will never be released or that I'm going to have to release later, years later as a pack because, because the person didn't ever release the roster or something like that. So getting something tangible out there, like you say, a demo, a beta version, whatever, uh, is so valuable in getting more support for the project, more interest. People can play something in the meantime. They get hyped for the full release. And yes, other modders can jump in with their contributions as well. But we do want to address that because it's understandable because those are such fantastic projects, but there is just so much time and effort and cooperation needed. So many other factors that it goes beyond simply having the tools and the know-how. Yeah, and the final point I want to make on that is when I started previewing my Ultimate Classic Teams roster for NBA 2K17, I started, you know, showing some screenshots. I want to say I just showed a couple short videos of gameplay, um, and I was showing um, 
you know, talk, well, kind of like talking about, you know, the project and what I was going to be doing on it. And I'd created a thread in the 2K17 section. That's how Peace Man Not came aboard to help out with the project. And that's how I had a couple other people come on board and, you know, say, hey, we can help with courts and or we can help with jerseys, et cetera. So um, just something as simple as announcing your project, um, you know, explaining what you're trying to do with it um, and explaining it properly, maybe showing some preview images and, you know, talking about your ideas for it. Just something as simple as that can get people on board to help you out. And trust me, if you're taking on these big projects, you need help. You, you absolutely do. It'll be great to see, and hopefully we do see some more cooperation and uh, goodwill in the modern community moving forward. That is something we'll always advocate for uh, in our modern community. Before we get to this week's mailbag, we did have a question from KidCash202. Shout out to you as always. Our question for this week's show, is there any financial benefit for the NBA and or ESPN to promote this idea that the past series were trash, quote unquote? Usually, companies only do things and or allow things to play out if they see a financial gain from doing so. In my opinion, if the NBA ever goes the Vince McMahon route and creates an NBA network, similar to the WWE network, wouldn't it kill any reason for people to want to see archive footage since we keep being told that the olden days were terrible? Help me understand it. Uh, Derek? Yeah, you know I'm very passionate about this topic. Oh, yeah. You know, I fight it. I fight it constantly, and it's absolutely draining. Um, it absolutely helps them out to trash the past product because what does it do it promotes the now product it gets them on the now product it gets them talking about the now product it gets them debating about the now product versus the old product uh it gets it, it's basically perfect marketing for the now nba because what it is it makes these kids think that this is it. This is the bigger, faster, stronger NBA where everything is better. And these are the athletes they need to follow. They need to follow the Jokic, the Giannis, the, you know, the Harden, the, the LeBron and the, the Kyrie, because why, why would you want to, you know, you can't compare them to the past NBA because they're just so much better. Like that's the, that's what they push. And, um, like I said, it's, it's great. It sells the league. It sells the athletes. It sells the influencers. It sells the players. So, um, yeah, I think that's why the media does this push. And I think that's why influencers in general do this push. I think that it's, um, a big reason why they constantly have to remind you all these blue check marks on Twitter, um, guys like JJ Redick and Kendrick Perkins and Draymond Green. It's why they're, you know, constantly bringing up how much better they are than the past NBA players and why they're constantly trashing the past NBA players and JJ Reddit calling them plumbers and all of that stuff. It is excellent marketing for the now NBA and the now product. Absolutely. And it, but it does, as you say, and as, as uh, kid cash pointed out, disrespect the past so much. I mean, the whole plumbers and dentists rhetoric has gone. It's beyond the pale. It's beyond a joke at this point. And oh, we know it's BS, Andrew. I mean, listen, I got to tell you something. I will go to my grave standing up for what I saw growing up oh, yeah. and what I know about basketball and its history and the footage that I've seen, even that I wasn't alive for. I will go to bat for it until I'm six feet under because um, I think that it's absolutely ridiculous the amount of disrespect that's given to these past players and teams. Um, they and their families deserve better. And frankly, the BS that is pulled by the media and influencers is, in my opinion, 
mostly staged. To be honest with you, I you know these talk these oh, ridiculous yeah. debate shows. Um, you know, there's been talk about. I think it was Tony Dungy that said it that Shannon Sharp is a completely different person, like when he's off the set, than when he's on the set and he knows that shannon sharp is just basically talking bs and like agenda driven bs when he's on the set but see, what that, i that, think that, it that, is that changes my opinion of them again because it's easy enough to say oh shannon sharp nick wright they've got no idea what they're talking about they're dumb when it comes to basketball but or they're whatever. playing dumb a lot of the but time that's like the it's thing. an like yeah it's a network thing. I, I'd, thing I'd almost respect them more if they believed it and they and that was their honest opinion Stupid as it may be, stupid and incorrect as it may be, that it was just their honest opinion. But the fact that they're participating in that performative debate and perpetuating these myths for you know their, their own career benefit rather than educating or being knowledgeable voices, I almost find that worse. And I, I love the fact that Jerry West and Bob Cousy stood up to J.J. Reddick on that one because, yes, a lot of players back then did have to have second jobs. But you know what? They paved the way for people like J.J. Reddick to get way overpaid considering the uh, level of player he was in the NBA uh, as a role player, that he's, he's got that because of the players that came before him and made the league popular and profitable. Uh, th- that was absolutely disrespectful. I loved seeing him get dunked on. Yeah, but how and it, but I want to I want to know something too. How does it make them less players because some players had second jobs? Like how does that make them not as good basketball players? Because the players today, they're not practicing as much. In fact, there was there were talk during the season where the Lakers wouldn't even practice for an entire week. And you know what? We have Fortnite players, we have streamers, we have guys living on video games and whatnot. So how are they being more pr- productive in a basketball stand from a basketball standpoint than the players that you know had to work every now and then to feed their families back then? Yeah. Right. I mean, so like, but you like bring, the you whole bring logic, logic behind it. You bring it's missing. I know. Why, how how dare I? Um, there's a whole bunch of context missing out of, on it. And um, I think, you know, you, there was Nick Wright before the unbelievable kissing up and LeBron agenda driven stuff that he pulled. You know, there were people that screenshotted some of his tweets, you know, before all of that happened, before he sold out. And he was talking and he was pumping up Kevin Durant over LeBron yeah. James. Right. Yeah. So like what you see with that is you see that Nick Wright sold out is doing what he needs to do to make money. And he's doing what the network is telling him to do. And that makes him even more of a weasel. Right. Oh yeah. So like, I respect yeah. the more as an idiot than a, than a uh, sellout. <laughs> Funnily enough. Right. Exactly. Right. So like, this whole thing is ridiculous. It's marketing. It's it's distraction. It's it's you know it's for debate and it's it's all a bunch of BS and it's a damn shame because these players, you know, like I said, that they're, they're them. And then if they're not alive, their families, and then if they are alive, their families, et cetera, all of them, they just deserve more respect. Yeah. And and, and realistic conversations surrounding their careers and and, in basketball when they played. And my final point is I would love, as I've said before, the NBA to do something like the WWE Network, where you do have that access to history and archive games that you could just watch on demand, just digitize the whole library, have, have all the old... Uh, videotapes all the vhs tapes and the dvds from the from when physical media was a, a thing have those available on the network just as wwe does with their old documentaries that came out on vhs and dvd and blu-ray um, again when physical media was a thing so there is so much the nba could do 
I'd love to see Adam Silver spearhead that, but of course it's, it is about the current agenda, um, which, which is unfortunate. But that being said, I would love to see that full NBA network. I'd subscribe just as I subscribe to the WWE network. Even if I don't watch uh, a current pay-per-view or the current product, I will go back and watch old favorites from the Attitude Era. I'd do the same thing with the NBA. I'd go back even further and watch documentaries and full games from before I was born because I love that. Uh, I love the history of basketball and the NBA. So it would be a fantastic thing to do. Uh, yeah, I, it's it's a shame with the current agenda. It doesn't seem like it's a priority, but I would absolutely love it. And I, that's that's something I would love to pay for. I would pay for that more than over, more than the current league pass subscription because you just get that little trickle of historical content that's uh, drip fed at uh, whatever they feel like putting up this week or this month. But yeah, have that all have all that stuff on demand like WWE does. They were ahead of the curve on that one, so yeah, I think they should follow their lead. But uh, time will tell. Last thing I'll say about this: you you want to know when you know something is completely agenda driven and BS, and they're trying to convince the population when they have to repeat it over and over and over and yep. over and over and over and over again. And you see it with, you know, commentary during games, you see it from so much of the media today and then the blue check marks parroting it, parroting it, et cetera. And the, the high influencer accounts, um, that's when you know something is BS and the fact that they've been constantly doing that and they've been doing it over the last few years and it's a clear agenda, then um, yeah, that that's that's the telltale sign as uh Tywin lannister said on game of thrones any man who has to say i am a king is no king exactly but thank you to kid cash for sending in that question as you can tell we're always very passionate about that particular uh, particular topic in uh, when it comes to basketball and the nba and of course the the jordan challenge will hopefully open a few people's eyes to just uh, how amazing michael jordan and that era of basketball was uh, certainly you and i will uh, appreciate that and that look back as we did with the 2K11, the original Jordan Challenge NBA 2K11, but uh, hopefully the younger generation will uh, will marvel at it as well and uh, develop more of an appreciation as they maybe get a little bit more mature. But speaking of enjoying 2K23, that is the subject of this week's mailbag prompt, so it is time to open up the mailbag. To the mailman, the prompt face. What an unbelievable dunk! So Derek, you put out the mailbag prompt, as you do every week on the D43G account, uh, yeah, what what did you uh, ask of our listeners this week? I asked, NBA 2K23 is right around the corner. What will you be doing first when you put on the game? For example, my brother and I usually go through the rosters first and look at any new players or face updates. And that's always fun. I mean, you and I went through the NBA Live 2000 and NBA Live 10 rosters years later. Just going through rosters and looking at the faces and who's got the best faces and what are the ratings and and how, how up-to-date are the rosters and whatnot. That was always a big thing back in the day as well. Yeah, we're usually checking to see if there's any, you know, any Cyberface updates, any new Cyberfaces that they put in the game, um, you know, what they touched up uh, as far as ratings, signatures, uh, et cetera. So that's usually the first order of business. And then normally what we do is we put a couple classic teams on the floor and see how they play out of the box on the default settings and see how the game feels. And that's usually the second order of action for us. I've also taken to playing the first play now game the first exhibition game with either classic teams the all-time teams or possibly now they've got the uh, all decade teams back the decade all-stars usually 90s versus 80s uh, that's usually my first uh, go-to these days 
which speaks to my nostalgia, obviously. Well, the all decade teams thing is huge nostalgia, right? Oh, absolutely. Like that's the thing when they when those when you put those on the floor, the first thing you think of is you think of like NBA Live 2000. Right, it was, it was such a big like deal. you think about games like that, that, it was a huge deal back then, and it's still a big deal today to you know put to put those teams on the floor. So first up, we have Sticky Fingers at Sticky Fingers FR on Twitter with this name Nostalgia, quote unquote. I'll take a look at all those retro bench players who have had the same 3D model, cyber face, and texture for almost one decade now. And uh, yeah, you could certainly relate to that. Uh, you've, you had a GIF reaction with the uh, the robots marching, and uh, especially when it comes to the uh, the roster players, the the John Smiths and the John Browns and everything else that, uh, that and all the other stand-in players on the retro teams, it does feel a bit robotic. Yeah. Uh, he, what he's talking about is a good point, and I brought it up earlier on the podcast. The, the faces that are in the game for classic players that were from the PS3 gen, the Xbox 360 gen, that's why he said for a decade um, that they've been out there. Like They're using the same texture from the PS3 era on a newer model for the new game so uh those look messy a lot of times they don't look accurate and whatnot and then obviously the end of the bench the whole you know what was it the 0607 warriors only had like six or seven in the last 2k only had like six or seven real players and then the rest of their roster of six or seven more players were all generic that's why I posted the robot, the, the robots marching GIF, because that's what they. I mean, they just all look the same. They're all generic names, same faces, same headbands. Yeah, it's a little bit. Yeah. And I know that they're supposed to be generic players. So they're not supposed to. You, you can't make them look like who they're supposed to be standing in for. But making them all look the same like that, and and making them sub into the game too early. Yeah, it's uh, the rotations are messed up. Think, things like that. It's just little details that make the the classic teams not as fun as they should be to play with and again why i prefer the all-time teams and the all-decade teams because at least you've got a full uh, full roster of of players there but uh steven aka the live king steve from the dot on twitter right around the corner you wouldn't know with this marketing and, and yes this is something i forgot to bring up when we were talking about the gameplay blog last week but at the top of the gameplay blog they said oh 2k23 is just less than a month away and the fact that we were getting our first big insight into the game let and under a month away is very telling of the current marketing. And I, I put up an LC flashback on our social media linking to uh, an article I wrote last year, the previous season sucks and it's not going to change. And I stand by that. It's it's not as exciting as it used to be. And, and it is ridiculous that we do have to wait until a month before the game comes out to hear anything about it. All right. How long have the pre-order... How, when, when did the pre-order prompt first go out? Uh, July, early July. Right, I think there should be a rule that the pre-order prompt doesn't go out until they actually show gameplay. Yeah. And they act like actual gameplay, not theatrical like trailer or anything like that. Like I feel like pre-orders it feels dirty. It does. They they're asking for pre-orders and whatnot a couple months before they actually show anything. You know what I mean? Like really show anything and let people, you know, have an educated and informed thought process before they make a decision. So, no, I 100% agree with his point there. Um, And the preview season seems to be getting shorter. It feels like it's getting shorter every year. Right. And it feels like they're waiting more and more to the last minute to give us gameplay, etc. So, yeah, that's that's frustrating. The fact that in recent years we've had developer blogs come out after the game is released is also ridiculous yeah i mean i think the thing is is that with only one option in the space people feel compelled 
to get this game yeah. every year. Yeah. And they just have their fingers crossed that they're going to love it. You know what I mean? So, like, I think that that's part of the problem here. They know, NBA 2K knows that they have the market cornered. So when they put out a prompt for pre-order, they know that even without any gameplay showing and whatnot, that they're going to get a flood of people that are still going to pre-order this game because they don't have any other choice if they want to play a virtual basketball video game. They could put out a series of previews that's nothing but uh, Running 2K giving us a finger, and some people would still pre-order it, and also defend it. But, um, yeah. 100%. But, um, <laughs> that, that would be a very interesting strategy, I, I do have to say. Um, you know, bold, bold strategy, Cotton, we'll see if it pays off for them. <laughs> Philly I'm 2002 at Philly I'm 2K on Twitter. I have to hustle to bring the best draft classes right away. Yeah, yes, he he's very passionate about that. I know he's a, a constant uh, in that uh, community making the draft classes. Yeah, there uh, there's a big demand for that. Actually, people love draft classes, and you see those threads do very well on the NLSC. Uh, people love draft classes in order to, you know, play multiple seasons and look into the future, and you know, create kind of their own, you know, NBA and future NBA. That's like the point of it. So um, I think accurate draft classes will, uh, you know, will always be a hit with the basketball gaming community. And I know I've just put out a Friday Five talking about how much I love generated rookies, Terry Hansen, obviously. But uh, yeah, being able to customize draft classes is an essential feature. Uh, I never mean to uh, downplay the importance of that. I do love generated rookies for the, the virtual hardware legend aspect of it. But we do need to be able to customize everything and more customization, constant deep roster customization, obviously a, a strength of 2K and a weakness for live. Uh, it's so it's so essential to have. Trust me, Andrew loves talking about his dynamic duo on NBA 2K14 with Terry Hansen um, and himself. And he's like basically comparing him and Terry to bologna and cheese, to peanut butter and jelly, to all of this stuff. So, like, I know that Andrew <laughs> loves the idea of generated rookies because, like, Terry Hansen is now a legend in Andrew's mind. Terry Hansen, the goat. But uh, Knowledge Bone at The Harassment on Twitter. I was going to jump into my team straight away. Yeah, I mean, there's going to be a lot of people that do that. Um, I I hope that the gameplay satisfies people. Um, I hope that people enjoy the challenges and whatnot. And uh, I think my team is a good place to start as long as you have some, you know, good players to start with. I remember in 2K15, I started with Tony Roten as my main guy. Um, he was my number one and that was fun. And I really enjoyed 2k15, my team, but what a struggle, what a struggle to win games with Tony Roten as your best player. Um, back when my team was pretty hard and pretty competitive, um, and they were working hard on making that a super challenging mode. Um, but yeah, hopefully he's got some good players to start out with. It's funny you mentioned Tony Roten because he's become one of my favorite teammates as well during the course of this uh, 2K14 my career. Well, I mean, he's a dynamic player in the game, right? Because he, he can step out and hit the three. He's good at driving in the game. And really, those two pieces make him effective offensively. That's why he was my go-to. It's because I could do a little bit more with him offensively than so many of the other players that were available. Got Roten and Hanson on the wings, Mellows. Coming back shortly, 
it'll be a fun end of year four. But uh, as far as my team is concerned, I've dabbled with it before. I do love the concept. Loved it uh, in Ultimate Team as well in NBA Live. Played that in uh, Live 15 and Live 18. Really got into it those years. And 2K21, I played quite a bit of, of my team. And uh, I do enjoy it. I, I haven't been playing much in 2K22 simply because, as I've said before, not feeling the gameplay and being so hooked on 2K14. But my team, I'm definitely going to give that a look as well. You know who was the man for me on NBA Live 18 Ultimate Team to start off? Who's that? Tyler Zeller. Tyler Zeller. That was the yeah, that was the man right there. I felt like I could use him like a mini shack. Mm, big um, he was rebounding everything around the uh, the hoop, throwing things down, whatnot. Um, yeah, Tyler Zeller was a little bit too dominant for me in Ultimate Team for Live 18. Another virtual hardwood legend. Not really. <laughs> let's, let's not go that far. He doesn't qualify. <laughs> Teddy Bear the Gamer at 317TeddyBear on Twitter is going to be jumping right into the Jordan Challenge, which is what I'd like to do as well. And as I said earlier in the show, why I'm hoping that the uh, 2K23's gameplay will be at least be enjoyable enough for me to uh, enjoy that retro mode, even if I leave the current NBA alone and stick with 2K14, probably <laughs> my career. But no, I'll be getting to the Jordan Challenge pretty quick as well. Now that Teddy Bear is back into the swing of things gaming-wise, uh, I'm ready to get some uh, highlights from you again. Uh, he was a regular contributor for a long time to the NLSE Top 10 Plays of the Week, and um, he ended up having to take a hiatus and wasn't able to play as much, but now he's back into it. So hopefully I'll get some highlights from you, and uh, definitely wouldn't hurt to have uh, some highlights from the Jordan Challenge. And you know what, Andrew? My guess is, is I'll be getting quite a few highlights from the Jordan Challenge mode. So we might see multiple Jordan Challenge highlights hit the top 10 for even like one week. We'll see what happens. I'm fine with it. I'm cool with it. Yeah, I'm not going uh, yeah, to complain, trust me. Speaking of contributors to the weekly top 10 at Lucky the Gamer, the putback king himself, uh, he's going cliff hunting right out of the gate and uh, shared a, uh, a clip of a, uh, a putback tongue, appropriately enough. Uh, yes, I, I assume that uh, we're going to get some more great highlights from uh, Lucky the Gamer. Putback Kang, as he is in the game, K-A-N-G. Um, yeah, we'll definitely uh, be looking out for your highlights. You've been a regular contributor now for a few weeks to the top 10, and we, like, we love having you. And he definitely has some of the best putbacks that I've ever seen. So he lives up to his name. Dr. Funk 1984 at Number Theory 1984 on Twitter. I do the same thing you and your brother do. However, I always do a play now game with the Pistons. So again, the same thing, jumping into an exhibition game as uh, as well, which I think a lot of us do just to get our feet wet and uh, get used to the new game in a, in a scenario that doesn't have to count. Yeah, I um, I think that first game is of monumental importance, and it will tell you a lot about how much time you'll spend on that game. To be definitely, honest with you, um, it's that first impression. It's how it feels on the sticks. It's, um, you know, did they pay the proper attention to ratings and tendencies and signatures and how much of the roster you might need to edit and all of that, like all of that stuff um, can hit you right away in that first game. So, yeah, very important. And that's why we do that. And a hookup guy who we mentioned earlier, uh, I always hit up the Lakers versus Bulls 1991 finals. That is the oldest game I can remember watching entirely as a kid very cool and definitely a good choice for a retro game to uh to jump in on yeah i mean one of the 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 first games that i really remember watching as a kid or right around the same time frame it's actually um during that 9091 campaign and it's the indiana pacers versus celtics playoff series where bird bounces his face off the floor like i remember watching every game of 
that series and Bird and Chuck Person trash talking and going at it, going at it and whatnot. And then the Celtics prevailing and winning that series. Um, that's probably my first memories of watching full games. Obviously, in 1991 was the dunk contest between D. Brown and Sean Kemp. And I remember that entire dunk contest and cheering on D. Brown. And our house was so full of Celtics fans and whatnot. And um, so I, I, def- I remember that event as well. So we have some more people who are going to be going through the rosters. Uh, Pete Toll, at Pete Toll on Twitter. I'll be going through all the classic all-time teams and historic draft classes, looking for players added and removed. I'll then work my way through all the current rosters looking for face updates. At Jace 23 is going to be looking at tendencies and a deep dive, see what actually works. Uh, DZulu at Debo Khan looking at rosters. And uh, Shady Mike Gaming at Shady Mike Gaming says, So they said this is the biggest content refresh ever in terms of signature styles. I think I'm going to hop on stream with 2K22 and 2K23 side by side and go through all the new jump shots. Obviously, he's very much into customizing jump shots. And uh, James says, check what playbooks are in the game, especially mid-90s and 2000s. So yeah, that, that's a big thing that we, we all do, going through the rosters, seeing which faces have been updated, seeing if they've fixed any ratings, seeing new players added or removed, because we have seen that as well. Players uh, getting into the game because of their classic teams, and then the classic teams remain, but then <laughs> they've been removed for because uh, the, the likeness rights expiring. So yeah, a lot of people love going through the rosters when they get the new game. D Zulu, I know for one, is going to be putting all of these retro teams and players and whatnot under a microscope because he is constantly posting about, hey, this is inaccurate. You know, this doesn't make any sense. Why is this guy jumping through the roof when he wasn't that type of player? Why is this player playing exactly like this other player? Let's copy and paste all this stuff. Like, I know for a fact um, that that's the first thing that he's going to be doing. He'll be going through all the classic teams, the all-time teams, you know, checking to see what's inaccurate, checking to see what's rushed, um, checking to see what's accurate, um, putting the teams and players on the floor, et cetera. So uh, we need people like that in the community, right? Absolutely. We need people calling out, you know, the issues and, and applauding the feats. So like, um, yeah, we need the Dzulus um, in the community as well as the Pete Tools. And finally, at MushroomT95 on Twitter, says, get this My Team rolling, as well as my 611 center. So yeah, if you're into my team and my career, getting on that grind ASAP as soon as you get your hands on the game is uh, is kind of a necessity as well. Yeah, I know you used to be that guy. You used to be that guy. That used to be you. That used to be me, yeah. yeah. Uh, that's, that, that is why I got burned out on that, that you need to, you can't take it at your own pace. But uh, yeah, it's, it's something that I've moved away from. I've got my my career fixed with 2K14, so I think I'll be... Uh, I'll be Jordan Challenge, my team, and uh, my NBA this year, I would say, uh, would be my modes of choice if I get hooked on 2K23. Yeah, and hell, if you don't get hooked on it and you don't really like the game, you and I have 30-plus years of video games to revisit. (laughs) That's true. So, you know, we've been connecting quite a bit on Parsec lately, and um, that's not going to stop anytime soon. But thank you for all of those responses. Always interesting to see what other people do when they get the game for the first time. And yeah, hopefully we will be pleased with the game. We'll have a game that we can enjoy for a year on top of the other things in the collection because I don't think you and I will stop going back to those old favorites even if we are enjoying 2K23. And uh, yeah, a couple, a couple more weeks of previous season to go, two or three more weeks of that. Hopefully more good news and hopefully it does pan out. Yeah, I, I have my fingers crossed, and you know all the stuff with the Jordan ch- challenge sounds really good. Not thrilled with the gameplay blog. You already know that we talked about that on the last show uh, and whatnot. 
I am going into it with not even close to the amount of excitement that I used to go into it with for games like we talked about before my excitement when 2k13 was released or nba live 2004 was released and all of that stuff i don't have that same excitement for this new series of 2ks but um i am hopeful and i just want people to enjoy it that is the main thing we we, we don't complain just for the sake of complaining or being contrarians or or dumping on the games we want to enjoy them the fact that we are doing a podcast about basketball gaming each and every week and, and all the other content that we do I uh, hope, hope that will always uh, come across that we do love basketball games. And uh, when we do criticize, it's because we genuinely feel that. And we, we want these games to be great. And uh, if there's something to call out, got to call it out. Because unfortunately, there are a lot of people who won't. I don't know how anybody could listen to our podcasts and look at the content you produce article-wise and me video-wise and you know our content on Twitter and everything. I don't know how anybody could come away with a different impression other than the fact that we absolutely are obsessed with basketball video games and love them. Like True. I don't I like I don't think there's any way possible because we're constantly producing content. We're constantly talking about it. We're connecting on the video games. Um, we're playing them solo too. Listen, we love basketball video games and we love basketball video games history. And that should be pretty obvious. Absolutely. And that content is not going anywhere, whether it be videos, the podcast or my articles, mods, etc., other coverage of the news, whatever's going on with basketball gaming, we will be doing that and uh, trying to connect people on Parsec, of course. Yeah, I've been connecting with people a little bit more lately on Discord, uh, from the NLSC Discord, um, and it's it's always fun. I got to connect with Tech Mobile again. I'd like to connect with T Sticky Fingers again. Um, per DXDO is always great to connect with. Um, you know, I had somebody reach out to me tonight asking me to get a game in on um, 2K17. So um, yeah, I want to keep connecting with these people. And a quick shout out also to um, King J Mace who was had to stream tonight that it was going for multiple hours like many many hours and he was just connecting with people using parsec on 2k22 and and playing blacktop and and whatnot and people were having a blast i'm in the chat looking at like people talking and whatnot and they're talking about the action they're like yo am i up next you know you know i, I want to connect can i play and you know he gives them instructions on how to install parsec and then they install it and they get right on the game and now they're playing with him on the stream that's what it's all about right it's like he's kind of got this little community that he's building of people to, you know, play online and, you know, without all the toxicity, without all the gambling mechanics, without the, without the, you know, faulty matchmaking. And he's just having fun with these people playing games and they're having fun as well. So, um, yeah, shout out to King J Mays for his activity in the community. I think he's doing a good job. He absolutely is. And it's all about enjoying games, celebrating games, as well as critiquing and commenting on them. It's uh, we're all about games here at the, uh, at the NLSC. 100%. But with that being said, that has brought us to the end of the show. As always, we thank you for tuning in and invite you to join us again next week, either on the NLSC, mb-live.com, our YouTube channel, or your podcast app of choice. In the meantime, please connect with us on social media where you can get in touch with us and stay up to date with all the aforementioned content. And to that end, Derek, I'll throw it over to you to plug those handles. Absolutely. Uh, before I do so, I, I just want to make sure to remind our audience to tune into the YouTube channel for the NLSC and to tune into my personal one, D for three. Uh, there's a lot of content going up, 
on those channels for you know basketball video games um for a whole wide range of different games you know from fox sports basketball 2000 to nba live 2003 to nba 2k 17 etc um if you want to watch some fun gameplay, you know, whether it's, you know, me playing against the computer or me connected with Andrew or other people in the community connected with me or with each other, et cetera, uh, go onto those channels because there's a lot of fun videos going up. You can reach me on Twitter at D for 384, also at D for 3G. I am on YouTube, D for 3, and on the NLSC, D for 3. And I am on Instagram, but I barely use it, and that's D for 384. I am Andrew in the forum and Andrew NLSC on Twitter. The NLSC is on Twitter and Facebook at the NLSC. Our Instagram is NLSC Basketball. Our aforementioned YouTube channel is youtube.com slash NBA Live Series Center. And of course, keep it locked to the NLSC itself, nb-live.com, for everything we do for basketball video games. So thank you once again for tuning in. And until next time, I'm Andrew. And I'm Derek. Go get buckets, everyone. <laughs>